ولئن استعاذني لأعيذنه وما ترددت عن شيء أنا فاعله ترددي عن نفس المؤمن يكره الموت وأنا أكره مساءته So Allah تبارك وتعالى says what? I declare war against anybody who, against him who shows hostility to a wali, a wali of mine. And we're going to define wali, what that term means in a moment. So I declare war against him who shows hostility to a wali of mine. And the most beloved things which my slave can come nearer to me with is what I have obliged for him. And my slave keeps on coming closer and closer to me through performing the nawafil, the extra good deeds, till I love him. So I become his hearing with which he hears, and his seeing with which he sees, and his hand with which he grips, and his leg with which he walks. And if he asks me, I will give him, and if he asks my refuge, or takes refuge in me, I will protect him. And I, and I do not hesitate to do anything as I hesitate to take the soul of the believer, for he hates death, and I hate to harm him. So this is a hadith in Bukhari and, and many other places as well. So it's an authentic hadith. And it's a very, very important hadith to the point that SubhanAllah Ash-Shawkani wrote a 300-page book just about this hadith. I mean, you can see how much importance he put and placed on this hadith because it was such a powerful hadith. The words of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala describing his abd, describing his slave, describing a wali, and so forth. And so it's very, very important. So to understand it, for, let's break it down sentence by sentence. The Prophet, excuse me, Allah says, Man That I will declare war against him who shows hostility to a wali of mine. So the first question is, what is a wali? A wali comes from the root verb, which means to be next to or be close to. So somebody who, a wali is somebody who is close to you, number one. It also means to be uh, to befriend somebody. So it's somebody who is a friend, somebody who you love, support, honor, respect. And it also can mean, uh, wali can also mean to manage, but that's, that's, anyway, that's a side point. So a wali, essentially, a waliullah is somebody who is very close to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, beloved to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and somebody that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala yes, has uh, love and closeness to. And this is described in the Qur'an. Who are these people? Allah Ta'ala tells us, Allah Allah is the wali, is the ally, is the close friend, is somebody who is close to those who believe. He's, and then what does he do? So it's the believers. A wali of Allah is somebody who believes, and we're going to get more details as well in a moment, but primarily you have to have iman. And then Allah says, He brings them out from darkness to light. So this is the first quality that we learn about the wali, is that he has correct iman, that he goes from confusion and darkness to light. Allah Ta'ala also says what? That the two defining characteristics of a wali is iman, proper faith, and taqwa, fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah mentions in Surah Yunus, Allah says unquestionably, indeed the awliya, and awliya is the plural of wali, so the allies you could say, or the friends of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, uh, uh, upon them there will be no fear, and nor will they grieve. So Allah is promising them that in the future, right, no fear, no grief. So, uh, you know, they're going to have a good ending and a good, you know, uh, afterlife and so forth. And then Allah says, Who are they? Those who believed and had taqwa, were consistent in having fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and careful to not uh, do anything that would violate Allah's laws. So, to first, before we go deeper into this concept of a wali and the protection that they get, I want to first clarify what a wali is not. So, there are different groups. Uh, you can go around the Muslim world and you can find people who claim to be a waliullah. 
and say that I am somebody who has this status. And in some countries what you'll find is these are people who claim to be like basically fortune tellers or charmers or magicians and they say I have this special closeness to Allah and they do all sorts of weird rituals. This is not what we believe in. Furthermore, there are some groups in Islam that unfortunately they claim that oh, I, we can help you become a wali of Allah Ta'ala. We can help you become a wali by what? You go through these very specific stages and you have to pass our tests and they, they, they came up with all sorts of different practices and rituals that if you do this for a certain amount of time then you can go to stage two, stage three. Uh, it's like, you know, uh, anyway, they have this, 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 something that they've completely in, invented. Now, if they could demonstrate what they're claiming through the Qur'an and Sunnah, then we would say, okay, this is from Wahi, this is from Revelation. But if there's no basis to it, then they're simply making it up as they go along, and this is truly problematic. And for some of them, uh, the idea, sometimes they give you challenges that are part of the deen, and sometimes things that are completely outside of the deen, some things that have no bearing in Islam. So they tell you you have to do these various challenges. And of course, that should be a dead giveaway. If they're telling you to do things that are not sanctioned by our deen, then subhanAllah, that should be a clear indication that these people are off uh, you know, the right path. Furthermore, uh, they have these teachers that let them know whether you've spiritually progressed from one, uh, one stage to the next and let them know if they've become a wali or if they are indeed a wali and so they can tell others. This is complete nonsense. The fact of the matter is that nobody knows. There's no physical indications. There's nothing you can say and you know, de be uh, determinative or, or, or very uh, confident and say, this person is a wali of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You can't say this. What you can say is, look, this person is a person of taqwa. This is a person of iman. And therefore, to the best of what I can tell, Based on the way this person behaves, this person seems to be close to Allah. And so we have hope that this person has the status of Waliullah, somebody who is a close ally and friend of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But this idea of giving people like, a, it's almost like some sort of martial art where they get different belts and you eventually get to the black belt where you become the top. SubhanAllah, this doesn't exist. It's very scary also that some people have such a bizarre belief system that essentially they have this idea that you go through these stages and at the top stage, of becoming the closest to Allah is a stage of fana. And fana means annihilation. And the idea is that you annihilate yourself and that you, you develop a complete unification with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, ittihad. This ittihad is a unification with Allah. And then therefore, this is then you get to this stage where you realize that everything is Allah and Allah is everything. And so therefore, even me, I'm God. Astaghfirullah, may Allah forgive us for these ideas. And this is called wahdatul wujud. This is a concept that some people hold. This is very common in other faiths, like maybe um, uh, Hinduism, for example, where they have this concept of uh, pantheism, that God is in everything, which justifies why they can worship an idol, because God is very concentrated in this idol, right? And so you can see their theology supports this. But when it comes to the Abrahamic traditions, uh, generally speaking, this is not the uh, theology, and especially not in Islam, most definitely. And so this idea of fana, I have deleted myself, I've gotten rid of any ego, and I've now realized that God is everything, and therefore I am God too. This subhanAllah is a terrible path. This justifies all kinds of shirk. And if this were true, then there is no such thing as shirk. Because anything you worship, that's apparently God. And there's no such thing as evil, because if everything is God, then everything can't be evil, it has to be good. And so subhanAllah, this, this, you can see how very quickly this type of a theology can, can devolve into something horrible. And so uh, may Allah protect us from these uh, you know, bizarre uh, beliefs. Uh, furthermore, uh, yes, and furthermore, even, funny, even funnier is the fact that some people have these claims where I've reached such a status that I'm so close to God that I, you know, they, they claim all sorts of divinity claims of themselves, like they have all sorts of secret knowledge and this and that. The Prophet ﷺ said, Wallahi, ma adri wa ana Rasulullah, that it is mentioned in Sahih Bukhari that the Prophet said authentically, by Allah, even though I'm a messenger of God, even though I'm a messenger of Allah, 
I neither know, I, I, I neither know what's going to happen to me nor to you. So even if the Prophet is in the top status that a human being can achieve, and even he is saying, look, I don't have knowledge of the ghayb, I don't have the knowledge of the, uh, of the unseen, I don't have knowledge of the future, I don't have, you know, uh, uh, um, uh, omniscience or omniscience, right, that I know everything. Wrong. So, th- so then how can anybody else claim this? So I hope that's clear, inshallah. I hope nobody takes advantage of these ahadith and try to make all sorts of claims. So, man aada li waliyan. Whoever shows aada. What does aada mean? This term means, so an adu is an enemy, but the verb aada from the mufa'ala, it implies reciprocity. So whoever has reciprocal enmity towards somebody who is close to me, a wali of mine. What does this imply? That either the wali hates that person or that person hates the wali or both. So it could go both ways. So in other words, if somebody has hatred for someone because of their Islam, because they are righteous, because they are practicing, if somebody has deep hatred for that person for these reasons, then this person is, has now basically shown enmity and hostility towards them. Or it could be that a person is so evil that the awliya of Allah Ta'ala, that the righteous people, they have enmity for that person. So either way, whether the enmity is coming one way or the other, either way, the fact of the matter is, if those who are righteous have hatred for a certain person, it's because they're vile, it's because they're wicked and evil. And so such a person, Allah is saying, what? I declare war against such an individual. And yes, the believer has both love and hate for the sake of Allah, as the Prophet mentions, what? مَنْ أَحَبَّ لِلَّهِ وَأَبْغَضَ لِلَّهِ وَأَعْطَ لِلَّهِ وَمَنَعَ لِلَّهِ فَقَدْ إِسْتَكْمَلَ الْإِيمَانِ That if anybody loves for Allah's sake and hates for Allah's sake, he gives for Allah's sake and withholds for Allah's sake, he has perfected their faith. That such a person has perfected their faith. So yes. And this is natural, that the more you get closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the more you become a righteous person, the more you're going to be hated by those who either hate the truth or are jealous of the fact that you can keep on improving as an individual, and they are too lazy to do so, or, or they simply will not focus internally. Instead, they will focus externally and be jealous, instead of focusing internally and actually improving. By the way, a very beautiful uh, uh, understanding from this hadith is what? Al-mafhumun mukhalifa, which means what? That understand it from the opposite perspective as well. If Allah is declaring war against those who hate the wali, then what about those who love the wali? Naturally, Allah Ta'ala is going to be that person's in, in support of that person and going to bless that person and so forth. Yes, and Allah Ta'ala mentions, That indeed Allah defends those who have believed. So, first and foremost, the wali is the wali of Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala, but also the wali is the wali of, is the one who is close and has allyship towards the messenger and the believers. As Allah says, That your ally, your allies is none but Allah and His Messenger and those who have believed as, and then Allah describes them as those who establish the prayer and they give the zakah and they are of those who bow down and worship. Allah also mentions Allah says Let not the believers take the disbelievers as allies As awliya, as a wali Instead of the believers In other words It is not part of iman To say I am a super close friend With a disbeliever In substitution of the believers So to clarify this point Obviously, as a believer, you want to be close with the believers. Why? Because they will help teach you and correct you, and you will benefit one another because you have that brotherhood and that sisterhood, that bond of faith. So that's primary number one. Now the question is, can I be close with disbelievers? Yes, but the question is always, who's influencing who? So if you become friends with, let's say, a group of disbelievers, and they are all having a negative impact on you, 
then obviously this is problematic. However, if you can, as a da'i, as a, somebody who is going to give da'wah and preach to them, and have an effect on them. If you can have that influence, then there's nothing wrong with you saying, look, I have a friend who's a non-Muslim, and, but my objective is to have an influence and to slowly but surely bring, them, bring this person closer and closer to Islam. So that should be the objective uh, always. But if you just simply say, well, I could hang out with the Muslims, but forget them, I just want to hang out with the non-Muslims, and not for da'wah purposes, just because I like them more, then this is actually a sign of hypocrisy. As Allah says, Give the tidings to the hypocrites that for them is a painful punishment. Who are they? Those who take the, the disbelievers as allies, as awliya, instead of the believers. And then Allah asks, uh, uh, do they seek with them honor? Are you becoming close with these disbelievers for the sake of honor? You think they're going to make you more honorable? Allah says, rather, indeed, honor belongs to Allah entirely. Jami'an, completely and fully and entirely, that's where Izza is found. And as for the disbelievers, they are awliya of each other. As Allah says, uh, that, O oh, you who have believed, do not take the Jews and the Christians as allies. They are in fact only allies of one another. And whoever is an ally uh, to them from amongst you, then indeed he is one of them. So Allah Ta'ala is saying what? If you try to act like a certain group, if you want to be with a certain group, if you look up to that group, then you're considered part of them. That's the, clearly your, your heart looks up to them. So clearly you have a certain level of izzah or honor for them that you don't have for the believers. And so your heart is inclining towards them. So what's the second portion of the hadith? That, and the most beloved of things which my slave comes nearer to me, my servant he comes nearer to me with is what? What I have obliged for him. Whatever is fard, that is first and foremost. That is primary. That is the absolute best. What is obligatory from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that's the thing that's going to get you closer to Allah the most. Allah ta'ala has prescribed, listen, pray five times a day. Fast the month of Ramadan. Give zakah, charity. What, 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 you know, these are your obligations. Stay away from that which is haram. Do which, that which is, you know, birrul walidain, an obligation. Be good towards your parents, right? Speak the truth, right? These are, we can go on and on. What are the obligations? For a believer, these are the things. Now, that doesn't negate the fact that you want to do more than that. But if you're not fulfilling your obligations, then recognize that this is the thing that is going to get you closest to Allah. This is going to be the strongest thing, the most important thing. Yes. That, and why is this the case? Because each of these obligations, they have a certain idea behind them. And they have certain effects. Like for example, salah. What does salah do for you? Salah makes you stay away from that which is haram. Allah says that indeed, salah, it prevents, it prohibits immorality and wrongdoing. When you're praying five times a day regularly, Alhamdulillah, Allah protects you from falling into immoral and disgraceful behavior. So there is an idea behind it, that it's not just the salawat themselves. Yes, the salawat are important. Why else? Because One, because they protect you from falling into evil. Number two, also what? Allah says what? Allah says, make sajda 
and get closer to me. What does that imply? That the salah, that the prayer, when you're praying, you're constantly getting closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So this is the idea behind it. Furthermore, what is the point of fasting? Allah says, Ya ayyuhaladina amanu, kutiba alaykum usiyam, kama kutiba alaykum min qablikum, la'alakum tattaqoon. That, oh, you who have believed that fasting has been prescribed upon you as it was prescribed upon those before you, so that you may attain taqwa. So there is an idea behind fasting, and it is taqwa. What is the idea behind uh, zakah? Allah says, khud min amwalihim sadaqatan, that O Muhammad take from them their wealth as a charity uh, their, their, why? to purify them and to cause them to increase as well so tazkiyah and tathir becoming purified growth all of this is a result of what? giving in charity and giving your zakat money as well so naturally if this is the case then what happens when you pray extra prayers? more you're being even more protected from fahsha and immorality and munkar and evil what happens when you increase in fasting? You're even increasing in taqwa. What happens when you, and, and, and salah, as for salah, you're also increasing in closeness to Allah. What happens when you increase in zakah and in charity, in sadaqah? Allah is going to purify you even more. So when you look at the objectives behind the fara'id, behind the obligations, you see that they have such beautiful uh, objectives. And they create such a beautiful cause and, and effect on the, on, on the person. The, the cause creates such a beautiful effect. And as a result of that, subhanAllah, when you increase in that, you're only increasing in all these beautiful results. Yes. And then we should also remember that whenever we perform the obligatory prayers or obligatory uh, actions that Allah obliges upon us, we're always going to fall short. There's always going to be some lack in what we do. And so as a result of that, we know that the Prophet said that on Judgment Day, Allah is going to look to that, that which was obliged upon you and see, and see to this, look at the slave and say, did you fulfill what was obliged upon you? And if there is a lack in the obligations, then Allah will say, take a look at his nawafil, take a look at the, the extra. What extra did he, did, did he do in order to fix or to add to or to make complete that which was lacking? So subhanAllah, all of us know that whenever we comp- uh, fulfill our obligations, there's going to be some, something that's lacking. And so subhanAllah, what do we want to do? We want to make sure that we are always increasing an extra to make sure whatever is lacking, it gets filled up and uh, completed with it, inshaAllah ta'ala. Even the Prophet, there's a beautiful hadith where he says, Place between yourself and the forbidden acts a barrier, a covering of that which is halal. In other words, get busy with the halal actions. Get busy with extra good deeds. Get busy with that which is uh, permissible and, and, and beautiful and it's going to c- continuously coat you and protect you from you know uh, wasting your time and falling into haram as they say uh, idle hands are the devil's playground or an idle mind is the devil's play- playground. playground it's a very uh, relevant uh, quote what's also beautiful is that Allah says that whatever is the, the nawafil now was the nawafil, were the nawafil were the extra, thi- uh, extra good deeds defined or specified? No. And that's the beautiful thing that subhanAllah, when it comes to the obligations, they're very specific and clear. But when it comes to the extra good deeds, Allah Akbar, what's beautiful about them is that it's open-ended. What type of a person are you? Are you more of a charity person? Are you a volunteer person? Do you like to teach more? Do you like to read more? Do you like to pray extra? Do you like to fast extra? What is the extra that you want to do? That's left open-ended for each person, whatever they feel is their speciality. That's perfectly fine. But I will mention the words of Khabbab ibn al-Arat. Uh, 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 where he says, uh, عنه, he said something very beautiful. He says, So it's very beautiful that he says, Look, try to get close, get as close as you can to Allah with whatever you can, whatever deeds you can do. But just know this indeed, he says, and you do not get closer to Him, you don't get closer to Allah Ta'ala 
by anything that is more beloved to him except by his words. So his opinion or his position was, look, you can, get, you can try to get closer to Allah by lots of different means and all of them are good. But at the end of the day, learning the Qur'an, understanding this book, that's going to be number one. And uh, some of the Salaf, they would say, uh, Whoever is preoccupied with the obligations and therefore cannot do extra worship, then he is, you know, excused. However, However, anybody who is preoccupied with extra worship to the point that they neglect their obligations, such a person is deceived. In other words, never get so busy saying, well, I'm so busy doing this good deed and that good deed and I'm volunteering in my community and I'm doing all sorts of extra things here and there and so therefore I missed my five daily prayers or so I missed my obligations or I fell into haram. SubhanAllah. Focus on the obligations first and then you do extra. You don't put the uh, cart before the horse as they say. Then the hadith goes on. My slave keeps on coming closer. After he's established the groundwork, the foundation, the obligations. Then he keeps on coming closer to me through extra deeds, through the nawafil, until when? Until I love him. And this is ultimately the goal of all of us. At the end of the day, every religion loves God. Every religion says we love God. The question is, does God love you? And anybody could say, well, I love God, so I'm sure he loves me too. Yeah, you don't know that. You don't know that unless he has sent you revelation personally that says, I love you. Now, we don't believe that anybody is receiving revelation. We don't believe that. We believe that revelation comes through prophets and the final messenger was Muhammad Wasallam, and he received the revelation and he taught what Allah Ta'ala wanted us to know. And so Allah Ta'ala explains to us clearly in the Qur'an and in the Sunnah of the Prophet how we can become beloved to Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala. So we try our best based on those means. But beyond that, the idea of just saying, well, I love God, so therefore God must love me. This is uh, you know, a, a faulty notion. And, and you know, at the end of the day, we say that when you take an exam, you don't really know your results. You can have a good feeling, right? Sometimes you take a test and you feel like, I think I did well. Sometimes you take a test and you're like, I know I bombed it, right? So, so obviously we can have a feeling as to how well we're doing or how poorly we're doing. But at the end of the day, you don't know how well you're doing on an exam until what? Until the teacher actually grades it. So at the end of the day, we're not the judge, Allah is the judge. I'm not the judge, you're not the judge, Allah is the judge. We're not putting people in heaven or hell, Allah is the one who's going to put people in heaven and hell. So at the end of the day, our goal is to work as hard as we can, to constantly try to increase whether it be in our obligations, and then even more so, the extra. Why? Ultimately, in hopes that Allah Ta'ala will love us as well. What is the result of that, having that love? We know the beautiful hadith. Inna Allah idha ahabba abdan da'a Jibreel. It's a beautiful hadith. When Allah loves a slave, He calls to Jibreel. He calls upon Jibreel and says, Oh Jibreel, oh Gabriel, I love so-and-so, so love him. And then Jibreel salam, loves that person. And then Jibreel calls to the, and now I'm just paraphrasing, but the hadith essentially goes on to say that Jibreel salam, tells all of the inhabitants of the heavens, the, the angels, tells them, so, uh, Allah loves so-and-so, I love so-and-so, so you should love him as well. And so the angels love him. And then subhanAllah, Allah puts the pla uh, places, uh, the love of that person in the hearts of for the people of the earth as well. And what does this imply? Wallah But it seems that when a person is a good person, everybody has some sort of a feeling like this person, I don't know what it is, but just based on his face, based on his demeanor, he seems like a good person. He seems like trustworthy. He seems kind. He seems reasonable. And sometimes, subhanAllah, you meet people and you don't know them personally, but you just get a good vibe from them. And so Wallah this is the way we explain this hadith. That sometimes you get to know somebody and you feel that this person is a righteous person, God-fearing person. Why is it that they, this person, you don't even know them? And yet you have this feeling that's so strong. Well, it could be the case that Allah loves that person and therefore Allah has placed that love in the hearts of the people as well. Now this obviously creates maybe a bit of a tension. How do we reconcile 
that this is the love that is placed in the hearts of the people for this person, for this wali of Allah. But at the same time, the hadith is, asked, is saying, whoever shows hostility towards them, right? Man ada li waliyan, right? Whoever shows hostility. So the question becomes, wait, how can you have hostility towards them and you love them at the same time? It seems a little bit confusing. And the answer is that jealousy. At the end of the day, the wicked person sees the wali as a pure, honest, positive, caring, sincere person and says, I feel good towards this person. And I know this person is a good person. So Allah has placed that hubul, that acceptance in their hearts. But yet, instead of acting on that in a beautiful way and getting closer to that person and showing appreciation of that person, they simply feel jealous. Why should they have this charm? Why should they be so uh, beloved to people? Why does everybody like them and they don't like me? And so they become jealous and therefore they show enmity towards that person out of jealousy for them. The next part of the hadith goes on. فَإِذَا أَحْبَبْتُهُ كُنْتُ سَمْعَهُ الَّذِي يَسْمَعُ بِهِ وَبَصَرَهُ الَّذِي يُؤْسِرُ بِهِ وَيَدَهُ الَّذِي يَبْتُشُ بِهَا وَرِجْلَهُ الَّذِي يَمْشِي بِهَا That so I, when, when, I, when this person becomes of the status, they become so close to him that I love him, I become his hearing with which he hears, his seeing with which he sees, and his hand with which he grips, and his leg with which he walks. Now, the question is, Again, this, is, this, is, this, this language can be taken in a sort of, uh, you know, shirki or, uh, you know, extreme way where the person says, oh, this person has become divine. This is not what is intended by this hadith, and this is proven by so many ayat and so many hadith. So what is the possible meanings of this statement? Number one. Number one is, this person, he only hears and sees and works and goes towards places which are pleasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's number one. And that seems like the most straightforward meaning. That this person gets so used to being a enslaved to Allah and worshiping Allah and always doing things that are good that it gets to a point that no matter what they're seeing, they're seeing for the sake of Allah. Whatever they're hearing, they're hearing for the sake of Allah. Wherever they go, whatever they do, it's all for Allah's sake. So Allah Ta'ala words it in this beautiful way. And the second possible meaning is what? That he does all of his good deeds with ihsan. And ihsan, as we defined in the second hadith, when, in, when we did this, when we began, Arba'in al-Nawi, hadith number two, talks about what? Ihsan is to have this, be in a state of muraqaba. Muraqaba is that everything you do, it's as if you feel that I'm doing it and I see Allah Ta'ala, and obviously you cannot see Allah, so you know that Allah is seeing you. And the idea is you have this sense that Allah is watching me. So when I look, even though I'm seeing this world in front of me, I know that behind it is the creator and the maintainer and the sustainer of all of this. And so this is a beautiful hadith saying that he does everything with ihsan and with the sense of muraqaba. That everything is for Allah's sake, I'm seeing, but I know that this is the creation, the creator is behind it. I hear, and I hear the creation, but I know the creator is behind it. And so he has this presence of mind, constantly remembering Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and Allah is watching. A third possible meaning is that this person, Allah puts guidance in whatever they see, whatever they hear, whatever they do, whatever they go. Allah is putting guidance into it. And this is exactly what the Prophet used to make dua for when he said, What? Allah maja'al fi qalbi nura, waja'al fi lisani nura, waja'al fi sam'i nura, waja'al fi basari nura, waja'al khalfi nura, wa amami nura, waja'al min fawqi nura, wa min tahti nura, Allahumma a'zim. The Prophet says, what? Oh Allah, place light in my heart and light on my tongue and light in my hearing and light in my eyesight and light in my, uh, to my, uh, to my uh, 